Welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series. Hi, this is Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company, and I'd like to welcome everyone to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. Today, we have a very special guest, Marcus D. Harvey, a director of our upcoming production of Him, also uh, actor, uh, educator, as I said, director, and um, graduate of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So, playmaker, I suppose we could call you as well. Yes. Marcus, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. So you're a, you're a Tar Heel, uh, but is that by birth, or did you come here for education? education? No, I was um, I was actually born in Rocky Mount, North Carolina, um, and I grew up in a very small town called Halifax, yeah. uh, po- population 242 people. Uh, and I say a story. My grandparents had twenty raised twenty kids, roughly twenty kids. Wow. Um, and I have a lot of first cousins, <laughs> as you can imagine. So uh, I grew up in a town where everybody knew my name. And you were about ten percent of the population. Your Correct. family, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, that's great. Uh, well, that's that sounds like a um, a, a, a nurturing environment uh is it a theatrical environment it i would say that like uh i grew up in a place that didn't have the arts funded but we created art with what we had right Uh, and so i talk about oftentimes like i grew up in a black church i grew up with music uh as my second nature but i also grew up um uh i went to weldon high school in weldon north carolina and we uh, we had a really great music teacher. Her name was Barbara Perry. She lived actually in Pittsburgh, North Carolina. She would drive back and forth every day oh, yeah. um, to come teach us music. And we did, um, we watched the movie, The Color Purple. Mm-hmm. And we sat down, we didn't read music, but we learned music orally. Like everyone learned how to play by ear and so we actually did a musical version of the color purple mm-hmm. illegally before there was a, before, before there, there was, was a a, before there was a musical so i would say like yes it it nurtured it it forced me to be creative in ways that uh i still use today in my practice nice very nice and then um so at some point did how did theater come into the picture? Was it, did you see something? Did you travel to see a play? Did you have a friend who was in a play? How, how did that first land on you as an idea? I would actually say it landed on me as an idea by watching The Color Purple. Okay. Right? Because I got to watch people who reminded me of home. Right. And I actually did not want to be an artist. Uh, I, my grandparents both um, died for medical reasons. um, And I wanted to do cancer research. Like I wanted to go to Carolina uh, and get my MD, PhD. Um, And I took a a class with uh, Dr. Sawini Madison, um, who was in performance studies. Uh um, Uh, 
uh, that we worked on this project that was really about um, uh, a trochee system, which is a system of imprisonment of young women in Ghana. And it would we turn into a theatrical experience. And I was like, oh, I can make art that mm -hmm. actually has conversation with the world. Um, and so I immediately changed my major from biochemistry to, to drama and performance studies uh, or communications with the concentration performance studies at UNC. And that's sort of kind of how it happened. For, for those listening who don't um, understand clearly the distinction, how would you how would you define performance studies versus just a, a theater degree? Yeah. So I would say uh, uh, uh Perform uh, theater taught me how to make theater. Performance studies taught me how to understand the process, yeah. right? The intellectualization of like what it means to be an artist and to make art, right? So it's really about the theory of understanding, right? What it means to be an artist in a full form. And the on the the piece about the women from Ghana, was there um, was there travel? Was there how did you? So my my uh, Dr. Madison um, spent a lot of time in Ghana, um, and uh, she was there doing research, right, writing a book. As as people in academia either have to write a book or create work, and so she was doing research on this system, and she um, brought this idea back to the university to create a play about her own experience, right, and so um, I did not go to Ghana with her, but I got to like help her. I like wrote a grant to get us money to do the performance, right? Mm -hmm. For students. So it 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 was a lot of like contextualizing and understanding of it. And um uh Jules Odenhall, who's at Duke University now, I yeah, think, yeah. Yeah, we um, know. was in the production with me. Okay. Um and so uh, that's how it came about. There was no traveling. And then I yeah. I actually um, got my equity card at Playmakers. Right. Um, when I think I was too young to get it, but who can't, Who knows, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was an undergrad, right? The and great it, dilemma, yeah. The great a, dilemma. And uh, it's available, you got to grab it, but is, it, is that the right time, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had the same experience when I was in New York. Um, so um, I'm curious. Um, so your first your first show ever was a bootleg uh, color purple, and your <laughs> second was uh, was this piece about women from Ghana. Did you uh, once you changed your major? Did you begin to perform at Playmakers? Were you in in productions there? And and so, did that feel different to you than what you'd experienced so far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because. Um, yeah, I I I did um, understudy uh, 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 Master Harold and the Boys when I was an undergrad, you but I also it. did a lot. Um, I understudied Tyrone Mitchell Henderson, who is now my colleague at Montclair State, which is quite hilarious to me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and so and then um, Becca Bernstetter was my classmate when I in the theater department. The playwright. The playwright. Um, so uh, when I was an undergrad, we would perform in Keenan Studio, right? Uh, and we would do a lot of works there, a lot of student written works, student directed works. Yeah. Um, so I did get a lot of experience uh, there um, as well. 
um, and cultivated relationships. Like Becca and I still talk. She has a musical that's coming to Broadway in the spring, um, The Notebook uh, musical, and she's done extremely well for herself, right? Playwright. I believe uh, Play Playmakers is going to be doing one of her shows this this spring as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, oh, that's really great. And she was a producer on This Is Us that was on NBC. Like she's done really, but she's never lost. She's always reminded me of what it means to stay true to yourself, right? That's and, and so um, I would say that the one thing that, that uh, Chapel Hill or Carolina taught me was that uh, this industry is not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? Amen, yeah, amen. In that like, and that like the the I didn't set out to be a director, right? Uh -huh. Like, but that is the season that my life is in. Right. I always set out to be an artist. Right. And so like it is how to make art with the multi-hyphenated aspects of myself that Chapel Hill taught me to do. You and I have a connection um through Montclair State. Um I don't think I've told you about. Um, there was a theater there uh, back in the 90s that did uh, summer uh, shows. Um, they would always get a celebrity uh, to come in and um, and you know do do the do one of the roles in it. And uh, I got cast in the production of Horton Foote's The Trip to Bountiful with uh, with Ellen Burstyn uh, in in the role. Uh, yeah there at Montclair State, and, and um, a guy named John Gully was directing it, who's now at UNC Greensboro, you know, who's now, uh, now a teacher there. But, uh, but a very interesting and quick side story, when um, uh, there was a SUNY Purchase uh, also had a summer rep program, and they were doing a play, I think it was, um, I can't remember what it was, but one of the, the celebrity actors had to drop out because because they had a got a gig in Hollywood, you know, and so they canceled the production and they called Montclair State and and said, uh, we'd like to bring your production of The Trip to Bountiful up here to SUNY Purchase. Um, but we really only want Ellen, you know, we can cast the other roles locally. And um, and Ellen said, they all come or nobody goes. <laughs> yes. So she, she got me in my little 15 minute scene, uh, an extra five weeks of work, uh, which was was fantastic. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so yeah, Montclair State was a was a, is a con connective connective tissue. Um, uh, switching gears radically, um, Lolita Chakrabarty, had you, uh, who is the author of him, the play that you'll be directing for us here, had you known of Lolita's work before? Uh, before, yes, yeah, about so that, I knew about her work because uh, she wrote the play Red Velvet. That's right. right? Yeah. And I auditioned for that play uh, several times, several productions in the U.S. Yeah. And so I was, uh, I knew her work, um, but this is the first time I'm getting to experience her work intimately, right? In a process. Right. And it's really about, for me, how she, uh, as a woman, can write the story stories about Black men. G gear that, I mean, that she's married to a Black British man who's a amazing actor yeah. um who uh you and know that's adrian she, lester yes. uh, by the way for those who don't know adrian lester is her husband yes and here's what's funny i auditioned to be adrian lester's understudy in the lehman trilogy on broadway which, oh. <laughs> and had a callback but like that's how life goes and so yeah. i think like i'm in i'm like 
in awe of how she's able to have this understanding of struggles of Black men um, very clearly in this play and how we get to ex also experience the joy of Black malehood uh, is what I'm um, excited about in her work. It feels uh, it feels very authentic to me. Um, I, I I don't uh, have the same experience you have, obviously. But what I when I did see that original production at, at the Almeida, it was during the pandemic. Actually, it was in I believe twenty twenty one, and there was a lot of reticence on the part of people to come, you know, into public gathering spaces at all. And and but we did, and we were all masked up and all that, and and there was just such a, a sense of joy and and release. The two the two performers had such a bond, um, and you know part of the reason why the play was being done at all was because it was a two character play, which meant it was it was safe or safer to rehearse and safer to perform. But the the sense of uh, authenticity struck me. Uh, in, in you know, as as a viewer, as being very very real, um, the two the two brothers in the play don't know that the other exists. I don't want to give too much away about the play, but but they meet at their father's funeral and uh, their respect their father's funeral and um, and start discovering that. Uh, I like to say they discovered that they weren't alone, uh, that they hadn't been alone the whole time. Um, what uh, what what resonates for you as an African American man? What resonates for you uh, in, in that uh, you had many siblings, so you you were never alone. Uh, you were surrounded by family. But uh, does that uh, does that feel um, like an important story for today to you? Yeah, and I think uh, so. My mother had many siblings. There were only two of us. Well, three okay. of us. I have my I have two brothers. Um, yeah. I would say that like what resonates with me right now is how much um, black men feel alone, right? Like I'm reading um, a really good book uh, written by Courtney B. Vance and mm -hmm. um, the psychologist called The Invisible Ache, right? Which is really about black men and mental health. And it reminds me so much of this play, how like, um, the older that we get as men in general, the harder or, or humans in general, the harder it is to make friends, right? Or to find, have close relationships. And so yeah. we feel isolated. And so now I think like we were in isolation for two years, almost three years, right? And so now we're relearning how to be social. And so, but we often still feel isolated in the world. Um, and as as someone who has lost friends to suicide, right? Like it is it is very clear to me that like the people that, um, in my experience, the people that are most joyous at times are also the people that are hurting the most. Mm. And so, so the joyfulness is a kind of a, an effort to mask the pain. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so I'm I'm. Um, and I think like that is very necessary um, conversation to have, right? Particularly because in the Black community, we don't actually talk about mental health in a way that's helpful, right? I remember when I first told, um, I've been in therapy for a long time because I believe that everybody should have somebody to talk to that doesn't judge them, right? right. And so I remember the first time I told my older brother, 
that I was in therapy. And I remember the judgment that came with that, right? Sure, sure. That like, what's wrong with you? We don't do that. Like, like we go to God, right? And I go, you know, there is this, the, the idea of like him, right? Like the title of the play really for me is centered around the black church, right? And so also in the Bible, and I'm not uh, trying to be biblical or like religious. Oh, go, go for it. <laughs> but the, the, the Bible says faith without works is dead. Right. right. So you can have all the faith that like you will get better, like it will get better. But if you don't work towards that, right, then it, it ain't going, it's going to be dead. Right. And so part of me working towards mental wellness in my own journey is the fact that I go to therapy. Right. And I do the work in therapy and I do what my therapist asks me to do in between our sessions and still have faith that it's going to get better. Right. But to know that they go hand in hand. And so in this play, it's like how much joy we experience and how much pain we experience and how much um, neither one of them may have done all the work they needed to do, right? Out of judgment, out of fear, right? We, we often hear about this older sister who's always wants to be in control, mm -hmm. right? And I often wonder, like, every time, <laughs> you know, they talk about the sister, I go, how much was her controlling her wanting to protect her brother because she saw him hurting? Yeah, absolutely. And so I think about, like, you know, um, I have a, a chosen family in New York City who's adopted me, mm -hmm. um, and I'm the only brother in the family, right? And so how much... Um, they protect me, right? Like from the things in the world or try to, and they met me as an adult, right? And so I think like how much, particularly black women want to protect black men and how much black men feel like they don't need to be protected resonates with me. I certainly can't show it. Yeah, I think that's that's true of all, of all men to some degree. Right. Um, there, I was listening to an interview the other day. I think it, I think it might have been Robert F. Kennedy Jr. who was saying that uh, there was a, a survey of American men in the 1980s that uh, asked the question, "How many uh, friends do you have? Uh, give us a number." And and the average was six. And they did that same survey in the last couple of years, and the answer was zero. Um, and uh, that's that's an enormous uh, sea change in, in the mental health of, of half the population. And I can't believe that the, the women folk are doing that much better. <laughs> in that field. Right. They are more social, sociable animals. It seems like, you know, they they do tend to, to find each other in, in groups, whereas men, I think, don't so much. Um, one of the, the things that I uh, unfolds over the course of the play. And I don't want to talk too much about this because it is a plot point, I guess. But uh, one of the two brothers is um, is attempting um, a, a business venture. Um, and, um, and the other brother, I think um, the older of the two would would not have thought that um, within his reach. Uh, um, and I, I, but I, I wonder if there's some, if the play is the play commenting on 
capitalism as a as a as a driving force behind the the mental health issues that that we we see in our country today i think it's this idea of what success looks like right right and the fact that like men are uh, you know they both have families right and so men are supposed to provide Right. Mm-hmm. And, and like, it's this idea that like, what does providing look like? Right. We're so caught up on um, what I say is an old way of thinking. Right. Whereas like, you know, wives, you know, I look at my in-laws, for example, right. My wife's parents, my mother, nev- my mother-in-law never worked outside the home. Mm-hmm. Right? right. My father-in-law worked. Right. And so there's idea that like you work so hard to provide for family. Right. And I think that's like what he's after is like this success. And you look around you and you often feel like you are not enough because you are not doing those things. Right. And I say, as I read this, as I was reading the play and he wanted to talk about this business and this fear for me, this fear of providing, I go like, what would this play have been like with two artists? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's right? really interesting. Yeah, who who um, there is no trajectory. There is an idea of what success looks like, right? You see celebrityism, but like, what would that look like? It's like we all chase these ideas of what it means to be successful, and and it's driven by a capitalist society, right? Because in order to in order to get health insurance in this country, we need to have a job, <laughs> right? You need to have a job or be. Born a, born a Rockefeller who would right. help. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I think like, yes, it is driven by this idea of like success, right? And what does it look like? What is the image I am providing for the world to see that that oftentimes drives um, uh, your own downfall uh, in and, and your avoidance of taking care of yourself in general? Um, you know, like my, um, when my wife and I first started dating, she had a boss, um, white gentleman, um, who I adored. Right. And he loved my wife. He was a family man, you know, wife, three daughters, Mm -hmm. and he was in his mid, mid to late forties. So very young, but he worked like 16 hours a day. Yeah. Right. And, uh, Christmas Eve or the day after Christmas? Mm. Christmas Eve, the day after Christmas. One of the one of those days, he was outside shoveling snow with his daughter, one of his daughters. Died and had a heart attack right in yeah. front of like yeah. shoveling snow. Cause this idea that he like we're chasing this idea of what success looked like and not like enjoying the the benefits of the labor. And I think that is what's driving this character is like, what is this idea of success for? Yeah. A black man in particular, <laughs> right? Um, who's who who's around whose siblings are more successful or who under or like what does that look like and feel like? That's uh that's a tragic story, and, and just stepping back from it, it couldn't be a more perfect metaphor for the 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 way we think about our lives. Uh, and I and I I do think in some ways I think artists are are better at that, but we also have this, um, 
you know, Tom Cruise, right? If, if we're not Tom Cruise, we're not successful. And, uh, you know, we're in the theater if we're not on Broadway. And I, I used to do that myself. You know, I used to worry why, you know, why haven't I made it to Broadway? Uh, why haven't I done more film work? That sort of thing. But but if you're playing to an audience, um, you're playing to an audience. And unless you're willing to state that one audience is less valuable than another, uh, get on with it and enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we're you know, I, about- often, yeah, I often tell my students, right? Um, I say, you decide what success looks like for you. Amen. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like I, I um, like I, I, I talk about the story of one of my colleagues, uh, Skylar Sullivan, um, who, uh, before grad school, he was a mime. He didn't use his voice for 14 years. <laughs> and so he came to grad school to learn how to reuse his voice. And, and when I said to Skylar, I was like, what, what does, what do you want? Like, and Skylar is, um, I think he's six, four, six, five. So he's not short, right? Like they're not, they don't write many roles or let many tall men be in place. Right. Indeed. And I said to him, I was like, what is it, what is life going to look like for you after grad school? And he goes, you know what I want, Marcus? And I go, what? He says, I want to move to San Diego. I want to make theater. I want to own a house with my husband on the water. That's all I want. And what did he do? He moved to San Diego. He made theater. He bought a house on the water. Right. And so like, that was what success looked like. And so I think like in an industry that's so capitalist driven that we are, we are told not to take care of ourselves. Right. Like we're afraid to go on vacation because what if that audition comes in? Right. And I'm really under the mindset that like, if it's for you, it will not go past you. Right. And so like in this play relating to that, it's like, they're pushing these, like pushing towards this success. Right. And I was like, just take care of yourself, right? Right. Take care of yourself and uh, give yourself a break. <laughs> um, I want to wrap up because uh, we're reaching our our uh, sell by date here. But I, I wanted to um, ask you one last question. We're we're talking about a lot of serious themes, and these themes are in the play. But but the overwhelming feeling I got when I first saw it was one of great joy and and friendship and camaraderie. Uh, can you speak to that aspect of the brother brotherhood of the two characters? Yes. Like you watch two men get to be completely themselves with each other. Mm. And there is a joy in that. Right? You can't do that with anybody else except outside of family, can you? And sometimes not even all, all your family. Not, not even all. And like, and they do it through music, yeah. right? And yeah. anytime you like use music or turn on music, like that does something like that, that brings you joy. Right. And so there's, there's always music playing in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think about like in this play, right. It's like when people walk in, I want them to walk in experiencing the joy that they are going to experience. And when they leave, I also want them to know that like, on the other side of joyous pain, but that pain can also be joyous, right? Like we can turn it around through watching these two men over the course of 90 minutes, go through something together that's gonna make you laugh, right? And that's gonna make you move, 
Yeah, right? I was just about to say that. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 like gonna make you think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it's a conversation with the world and with the audiences coming to see it. I was thinking that music is is an abstraction in a way. You know, I mean, some songs are very pointedly about something, but generally speaking, music is an abstraction that allows you to to draw from it your your own personal narrative and to and to make it yours in a way. I, I think, um, and I think that's the great beauty of of music and and um, maybe the great beauty of of uh, family as well of, of brotherhood specifically in this show. Yeah. Well, Marcus, uh, Marcus Harvey, um, we are looking forward very much to having you back in the Tar Heel State uh, <laughs> to work on Lolita Chakrabarty's hymn, H-Y-M-N, hymn, which, um, which opens on January 25th at Burning Coal Theater Company and runs through February 11th. Uh, and you can find out more about the show if you're interested in it at burningcoal.org. Marcus, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me.